Hi, and welcome to Forgotten Films. Thank you for joining me. I'm Ben Hyten, and with me, as always, is Alex Belletti. Yep, thanks for joining me too. I, I thought I thought it was us, man. I, yeah. I thought it was join us. Well, I don't want to speak for you. That's nice. You, you're considerate. We are looking at films that have fallen down the sofa cracks of film history. And, and your brain. And we're fishing them out like a moldy peanut or a 2p coin and polishing them off and seeing if they still taste good. <laughs> the, the, the coin. <laughs> yeah. Coin. Sometimes we get a coin, sometimes yeah. we get a peanut. I found a tenner the other day. That's that's the that is the goal. We want to yeah. find a ten pound note. Yeah. So over the course of today, we'll be discussing a couple of films to see are they a mouldy old peanut or are they a ten pound note? That's that's a really good metric. I think that's now going to be the standard. Yeah. Of different types of things on a scale of different types of things you could potentially find find down the sofa crack, the butt crack of the sofa. Pride would be. Mine. Yeah, I'd like pride's to find down that. there. You've got some pride in there. I lost it somewhere. I'm pretty sure it's down there. Uh, on a scale of moldy peanut, the ten pound note. That's that's what these we're ranking these films on. We are now. Some of the films that came out in 1983, Alex, that we could have discussed today. Yeah, go for it. BMX Bandits. I actually wish that that's the film that we did. Okay. The Big Chill. Blue Thunder. Brainstorm, which is a, th- a film I think you'd like very much, actually. Young Christopher Walken and Natalie Wood's last film. Yeah. Uh, the Day After and Threads. Yeah. Gorky Park, The Keep, Krull, no thanks. Man with Two Brains, Psycho 2, a very, very good sequel. Sleepaway Camp, a very, very crappy slasher movie. Strange Brew, Uncommon Valor, and Yellowbeard. There were also, in 1983, Alex, four Tom Cruise films released. Can you remember which ones they were? The Outsiders. Correct. Not losing it. Yep. Losing it. No. All the Right Moves. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, of course. And Risky Business, which came in at number 10 on the uh, domestic it's amazing gross that for he, that year. That he released them all so quickly. Well, he didn't, obviously, but he didn't make them all like the year before. They must have taken like two years. Well, listen, if you want to hear our thoughts on, on how he managed it, go back and listen to the beginning of the last season. That's a good idea. The big awards movie of 1983 was Terms of Endearment, and the big box office film was Return of the Jedi. We're not going to be talking about any of those films today. Nope. Instead, we are going to be dishing up a film from each of our respective genres. We talked in the first episode about how Alex is a big sci-fi nerd, and I quite like um, horror films. Mm. And I think to an extent, we've each... You've picked a sci-fi movie and yep. I've picked a horror film this week. Why don't you tell the lovely people what film you picked, Alex? Uh, I am chagrined. Is that the word? Sure. Embarrassed okay. about my pick this week. I am very regretful of it, but I went in blind. It's part of the risk that we're taking. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. Looks like it could be fun. Looks like at least we could have a laugh. I'm not sure if we can do any of those things with this movie. The film is called Wavelength. I do not know or care about anybody or anything to do with this movie. Okay, so it was written and directed by a guy called Mike Gray. Um, yeah. I I 
picked The Hunger, uh, Tony Scott's first directorial, di- yeah. directorial effort. So I think um, we should maybe talk about The Hunger Last. second. Yeah. Yes, please. So I, I, my question to you, Alex, is just... Save just the best for last. I was just going to say, explain yourself. Yeah. But I'm going to be more forgiving than that and say, walk me through how this film came into your life. What was the decision-making process? Because we talked about maybe doing Blue Thunder and Unco- Uncommon Valor. And yeah, then we decided we'd, we'd go with slightly yeah. riskier picks. Yeah, and so that was the thing is going in blind is what I said to you. It's like it's something that I was always willing to do as part of this series, uh, of this season, is to say, you know what? I'm just literally going to pick this out of the hat of 1983 films. Looks like it could be interesting. It was It was only a Wikipedia search that I wanted to inform me. And my intention was to actually watch like a bunch of them, a bunch of obscure stuff I'd never heard of before and thought, what what if? This is the first example, hopefully the last, of how we can massively fail in our picks. And it bends absolutely right to ask me the question the way he's asked it. The thought process was minimal. The intention was good, which was to sift through a few, let's say, crusty things, nuggets that I might have found down the back of the sofa. So this was like a bit of pizza crust. Yeah, and just said, is there anything valuable in there? You know, any is there cheese. is there maybe a, a Jenny cheese? Is there any pound coins stuck in there? You know, is there any like did anything get stuck to the crust and then maybe I could I could dig it out like a sweet and, corn? Yeah, but I basically took the first thing, put it in the fridge of our brains and said, this is the one I'm thinking of. And said, let's just go with that. Well, see, I was intrigued because I'd never heard of it. And yeah. I could tell just from the title, oh, this is going to be a. A science fiction movie and yeah. if it's a science fiction movie I've not heard of it's probably going to be relatively low budget but I was hoping that yeah. someone had recommended this to you as like oh this nope. is a film I remember from TV in the 80s have you ever seen it no right great do nope. it no nope. I was pretty disappointed man um, I'm I'm glad when, you were when when <laughs> when I thought low budget I didn't expect the budget to be $27 and um if you're going to do a film that's, you know, sort of relatively ambitious on scale on a low budget, you've got to have some awesome ideas to back it up or some interesting commentary or, you know, analogous material or something. Yeah. There's a there's a, a lot wrong with this film. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I almost texted you last night to say, listen, man, I think we're going to need to uh, maybe just record The Hunger and then find give me time to find another one the only thing i've got to back up us actually validating doing this pick is this is what can this is what can happen when you've got no kind of recommendation i'm wondering if it's a wasted pick it's funny you said bmx bandits because i was i can't believe i didn't do that that was big for me and my brothers and i've never seen it it was huge and it's like we love that film i would have had a story to back it up with i would have had like man you you blew it. You blew I know it. I, I, hand on heart, I blew it. I kind of wanted to go on the air and confess that I blew it, rather than us That's wasting fine. another week, right. you know, because we would have wasted another week. And we, because we record these in advance, we started releasing this week, and I just thought, yeah, it's good. If you if you really want to completely waste an hour and a half and watch something that is utter shit, then put Wavelength on. 
The, I mean, the good news is, uh, I'm assuming you didn't spend any money on it. I certainly didn't. I watched no, it on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. See, my follow-up question to you on this is, I'm not sure if this is even eligible because I don't <laughs> think this got a theatrical release. No, no I, I didn't I do any research. I looked really hard for yeah. uh, Thanks, any man. sort of release schedule for it. Yeah, no. <laughs> I didn't it was, find it. All I could find is that it screened for one day in Bismarck, North Dakota. Yeah. What's weird <laughs> is it has a 5.8 rating. Out of yeah. 10 now movie. okay now if we're going to be if we're going to be really about fair, ratings if we're going to be really fair are we well i'm going to try and be fair okay um i'm not Give having it some a go- time first of all i'm not having a go at you alex like you rolled the dice i know you're not man sometimes you come up a six yeah sometimes you roll a one but that's what i was doing i was rolling yeah, yeah. the dice this week because it felt like i was running out of time and i said i'm fuck it i'm going for this but let's have a go at the film I, no I'm more willing than, to talk no about what's wrong with it. I'm willing no more than 10 minutes. to talk about what's wrong with it. But I will say this. I didn't hate it. I wasn't angry. I wasn't upset. You're joking. And it's, Tell me why. And it's blissfully short. I mean, it's... Maybe it's because it's my pick like that I have. under an hour and a half, right? Maybe I... Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's so... I'm looking at the time going, I'm really glad this is how long it is. Yeah, it's barely a 90-minute movie. Yeah. Um, which makes me think that it probably was made for a... a a TV release. Oh, there's some good stuff in it. Uh, Tangerine Dream. Tangerine Dream did the music, and the music's cool. Fine. Yeah. All right. I won't, I'll give you that. Uh, and I would say they add more to the film than almost any other element. There are sequences in the film that you start thinking, "Is this actually quite cool?" And it, no, it's not. It's just that the music's good. And that is that is what the film promises, and that's why I rolled the dice on it because I watched the first ten minutes. I thought this could get there. That's part of the mission of this podcast is to find those films that are like, this is actually really cool. Even though it might be a bit shit in these areas, it's got these concepts in it. Yeah. So, I mean, the setup of the film is, is nothing, basically nothing new. Um, a, a government conspiracy is unearthed by a young couple in the valley uh, near L.A. And there's some some aliens being held captive that are somehow not telepathically, but on a high wavelength frequency communicating with this young woman and they get embroiled in the conspiracy and then eventually break these aliens out and are chased across the states to mexico that's that's being very generous with the with the action of the film and my biggest bugbear with this is about half an hour into the film you're in this government bunker yeah and there is actually something that I thought if they take this left turn, uh, it was yeah. worth the last half an hour because the film pretty much forgets about the two protagonists and you just it's, see it's weird, yeah. generals and doctors and professors yeah. and politicians in this lab working through the problem of alien discovery and how to cover it up. Yeah. And there's a quite an admirable stab for about only about 10 minutes at right. doing something like an authentic procedural of what that alien discovery would be. Now, yeah. the film doesn't have the script or the resources to make it work, <laughs> okay? But what it told me in those 10 minutes is, that's the film I'd rather see, like a, like a film like yeah, yeah. Threads about the that same situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, there's no reason for us to be following these two lead characters. Not anymore, no. There, there was We didn't need the introduction to them. You could have had the discovery... Yeah. And the jeopardy and the breakout all happen with the characters in the bunker. And it would have been a much better film, in my opinion. And it's compounded by the fact that once they go on the run, yeah. 
There is no <laughs> sense of danger at all. No. Right? They have kidnapped three, the only three, as far as we know, aliens to have ever visited Earth. They're in a yeah. pickup truck heading across to Mexico. Yeah. Okay. And they look like kids. Yeah. They look yeah. like little bald kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they even get accused of like yeah. being pedophiles at one point. Well, it's it's the way. Well, it's the way that they. It's the way the authorities kind of start the manhunt is by releasing information saying this couple have kidnapped three children. Right. Yes. But given the gravity of this situation and what must be in your head if you're one of those two protagonists, is that the full weight of the NSA, the <laughs> FBI, the CIA, the yeah. military. Black Ops, everything yeah. is going yeah. to be scouring the planet looking for us. Mm. The lead character's comment is, I wish I had my harmonica. Brilliant. <laughs> I wish viewers, viewers, listeners, I wish you could be viewing Ben's face right now. <laughs> it's, the, <laughs> it's, 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 the, it's the epitome of that, of that kind of eyes closed, flat mouth emoji. Just like, I can't, I can't believe it. <laughs> when they're lying in the back of the pickup truck and they're about to get it on and they realise that the aliens are watching them they, 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 they turn, away, turn away and walk off these aliens and because the woman has this connection with them telepathically right. or whatever it is she says oh they're leaving there's no sort of yeah. E.T. moment I'll be right here there's none of that he no. just says he just makes a joke and he says may the force be with you they are completely unbothered about everything once they get out of that lab and i don't i don't know how you can write that script and not factor in any drama for the for the third act of your alien conspiracy movie (laughs) i all i can say is i agree it's so difficult for me to care enough to say anything about this film it's we've talked before about plot holes and we've talked about there are no there is no plot for it to have holes in It, it just it, the things the thing is a fishnet it's not it's like it is not a fabric worth weaving it's just it's will <laughs> were you about to say it's will smith <laughs> it will i'm at a complete loss for words to try and even to, i don't even know where to start or to begin with how poor this is i'm really i'm relieved that you are doing your best to give it a, to give it something i don't think i've seen a film where the boom isn't shot so much. I'm so glad like, you said it. The I mean, most egregious boom shot I've ever seen. It's terrible. So many. There's, there's like five. There's, I saw at least two or three, yeah. But there's one that's I, really I'm, bad, isn't there? I'm convinced that the reason why it happened was because they were beating the shit out of the boom operator after takes. And he got weaker and weaker. Why? And he just kind of like, I can't hold it up. And just got they're worse. So, they're so miserable with the experience of this film. That's it. So the like, crew are going, have you read the last 20 pages of this? You fucked up. Mike, come here. The, the Mike, the boom operator. Good one. Yeah, yeah. It's um, not even his and, name. They, they just never, bur- they never bothered to learn his name. Of course his name. Mike. <laughs> my, my name's Robert. You're Boom Mike, aren't you? Yeah, just wouldn't surprise me. That would be an interesting story. You find out that the boom operator was murdered, you know. Like, <laughs> it's like, okay. Oh, yeah, that's exciting. That brings some excitement to this film. But, I, I you know. There's so many weird things. Like there's this dog at the beginning who just must have been like one of the dogs of the people on the crew or, or, or the director or the producer. The dog. Because he's in it at the <sighs> beginning, right? He's all anxious. Then these this couple are 
go in and they investigate they, they break into the facility and they find out what's going on well they don't really find out they arrest them and say well how did you get in here and what did you do and for some reason because this woman has a connection to these aliens they bring her down they say like look and there's this line that's like once we bring her down here she's all ours mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah just like like we we know what you mean but it's like it's the it's the classic it everything in it is classic and cliched conspiracy oh the the, the, like, the characters you've got the grizzled general with a pipe the stuffy politician the professor who only speaks after he removes his glasses yeah it's pretty uh, the wide-eyed blonde babe like who's spooked it is the character cliche playbook and yeah what really, what sort of, didn't annoy me, that's the wrong way to put it, but sort of what disappointed me was, I'm not saying I was into the first 20 minutes at all. I was not. When he's playing his guitar and that. But at least he was I a good guitarist. And what the, the film's, hell? yeah, what exactly. The, was that? the film's called Wavelength. And I thought, this is going to come into right. play that somehow. He's playing because, music, he can, yeah. yeah. And she's hearing this whale right. sound yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of noise. So nope. this is He's going to help communicate with the home planet. The fact that he's it's going to be like, nothing it's be to like do close encounters. The only payoff is they like your music. Yeah. They like your music. And he goes, I haven't played any music. She's like, no, but you're thinking about music, aren't you? He's like, all the time. <laughs> all the yeah. time. They could pick up on it. But but Brilliant. before that, right, he's really sick because clearly these guys, they, they, take, they love yeah, some they, kind of radiation or something. And, well, no, he says they take energy from ah, people right. as well as everything else. I missed it. Yeah. I missed it. Because they're photosynthetic. And so they just absorb energy. They're not trying to kill anything. But they can. You touch them and you're dead, pretty much. Like, that's pretty much how it happens. They're not, again, they're not trying to kill anything necessarily. He's really sick. And then they give him energy, I guess. They, yeah. they, they heal him. Yeah. And at that moment, when, when she's holding him, shivering in the back, uh, they're shivering, she's shivering in the back, the dog shows up. Where? When did they get the dog back? <laughs> the dog from the very beginning that has been... Uh, clearly abandoned. I don't remember them going back to their house to get any stuff. No, Keenan Wynn sees it later on, like staring down the hole, doesn't he? The oh, that's it. So he picks the dog up and he's on the journey with that guy. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. So it's even got that cliched old dude. I helped build this facility. That's how I know. Yeah, exactly. That's the cliche. It's like the people that help build these government facilities. They're alive still. They didn't get killed or shot or mixed in with the cement. <laughs> but know? there's even more fundamental stuff wrong than that. Like, why does she go with him? Why did they even get together? Like, she looks at him in a bar. It's brilliant. And they get mistaken for a couple. Yep. That's it. This is the note. Back no, to dude, his place. It explains it really well. It explains it really well. Does it? He was an artist, all right. He spent <laughs> a weekend in Mexico proving the point. <laughs> Which I thought, am I missing something? No, nope, it's exactly that, what you think it is. It's supposed to be sexy talk. I don't totally. Uh, that's that's it. it. That, yes, he's an artist with a penis. Is that what she's saying? Whatever with his <laughs> with his fingers. Whatever it doesn't All right. matter. All right, rein it in. Yeah. Oh well. well he, yeah, no, he is a good fingerer. Yeah. She said it. Yeah, she said it. That annoyed me as well. Like yeah. two lines of dialogue and narration at the beginning, two at the end to wrap everything up. Yeah, awful narration. Yeah, and yeah. and and he's sure that the military are not going to hunt them down either. He's like, nah, no one will come for us. They just oh, want us to keep our mouth shut. And her narration goes, "He was right." <laughs> what? <laughs> if they want you to keep your mouth shut, they're going to yeah. do everything in their power to erase yeah. you from existence. I will say this though: we've we've said at the pilot that 
maybe some of these earlier films that we're going back is maybe we can see how they've influenced later films. Maybe they've been influential. We, we I'm talked intrigued about, that about where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. The end of knowing. Um, uh, I have a different stretch. reference point. It's a stretch. Which is, I don't know if you've ever heard of Neil Breen. Nope. He, he is quite famous in certain circles for like, <laughs> I think he self funds, writes, directs, acts, and edits his own science fiction conspiracy movies. <laughs> I bet they're and awesome. They are so bad that yeah. you would think <laughs> that he is an alien trying to make films to communicate with us <laughs> of like, is this what human life is like? And <laughs> and getting it wrong. Uh, well. and, and this, like an alien conspiracy in the valley, that straight off the bat, that reminded me of Neil Breen. And mm. the good thing about the Neil Breen films is they're so incompetent and so awful that they're really, really, really funny. This didn't do that quite enough for me. I wanted it, if it was going to be bad, to be really bad. And I don't I mean, think it's it's not a one star movie. It's a it, you know it's a two star movie. Uh, yeah, I mean maybe I haven't seen enough one stars. It didn't go bonkers enough. That's what I'll say. Like they could have made it bonkers. They didn't have the money. And yeah. And uh, actually, they again, spent a lot of time in that facility because they just milked the fact that they even had that building, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I'll give them credit for two shots. The opening shot of just like that push in on the alien chambers and you hear that sound. I was intrigued. I was like, I don't know what this is. This could be kind of cool. And the shot where the soldier comes up over the hill at the end and sees the alien yeah. orb. I genuinely, my eyes widened a little bit and went, I did not expect that. And it wasn't, it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible either. It was much more interesting than a, than a kind of funky alien ship design or something like that. It was kind of cool. And I I didn't think that was where the film was going to go. So I'll give him credit for those two moments, one at the beginning and one at the end. Well, I'm really glad actually that you have like some cool things to say about it. I think I was just so, I felt so guilty I, d- I had picked it that I did no research. It's a lesson, a hard-earned lesson. Have a backup? Well, have a backup, but do a little bit more research. Maybe even get a recommendation from someone. Well, recommendations are the way to go. I think that's, And I thought that's where you were coming from, which is why I didn't do any research. I yeah. just put it on blind. Well, I think we've learned something then. I want to go with things, especially fans, if they're, if they're writing and giving us stuff. Uh, that's what I want to go with as much as possible. But... The thing I regret most is my brother Andrew reminded me BMX kids, BMX bandits, whatever. And I just, there's part of me that really wants to, I'm going to watch it again uh, anyway. Yeah, let's do it. We'll do it as our first retrospective, shall we, in in a few weeks. I think we should, but let's let's watch it again. And and if it's worth doing, we'll do it. Well, I've never seen it. So it will be my fresh thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is that I don't think just because we're like, oh, we regret not reviewing that movie. Because if it's another fucking wavelength, then it's like, no, I'm not recording. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be another wavelength. I know, but do you know, what I mean? <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, you get my point. Yeah. Like, I think, I think we can't just agree. Like, oh, we're going to definitely do that. But it's, it's the first one we'll give a crack at being a retrospective. We might do it in a few weeks. I, I was trying so hard to find something that I might be missing in this film, like looking for details to see is this where the film's going to go. And the only thing I could pick up is there's a bit where they're driving through the city and they go past the cinema. And the cinema is showing two films. It's showing Exorcist 2 yeah. 
yeah. and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Now, Rocky Horror Picture Show came out in 75, but it had a very long life in the cinema in revival shows, even through the 90s. And Exorcist 2 came out in 77, and it didn't do very well. So I was trying to figure out, is this just stock footage of a cinema that they've used? Because I think there's quite a lot of stock footage in the film. I agree. Or is it specifically trying to place it in a in a time and space? And I, I didn't come up with any answers. I think it's probably stock footage. Again, it's like... That's how interesting this movie is. <laughs> that, yeah. that we need to we need to look at those things. Not only is it poor, I mean the acting is really bad. A lot of smell like, the fart acting. A lot of it, but you can see they're trying, and I'd argue that the editing doesn't help. So this main character, Robert, I think his name Bobby. Uh, it's so weird. Like when you introduce yourself to somebody, do you ever give your full name? Well, my full name is three letters, so yeah. No. What do you mean? Your. F- a surname and Christian. Oh, right. No. Name. no. In a professional setting, I would. Maybe, not, yeah, yeah. Not in a bar. But, no, but that's what Iris Longacre does. <laughs> you know? Iris. Iris Longacre. You know, I don't know. It's like... or just straight she's up. supposed to be, like, alien-like, isn't she, right? They, they were definitely setting that up that, oh, is she an alien? Because one of the characters even know, mentions man. it. But she isn't. No. There's no explanation for her being There's on this There's no wavelength. explanation for lots of things. There's some... That's true. Some explanations, but and what this is one of those things. So we we get that he's a musician and he goes to a recording studio. There's this voiceover about his music. This guy, this guy being a musician has nothing to do with the film. It's just we've got. I, love, I did love the line though right. in the bunker <laughs> when the general goes. My guess is he's an unemployed musician. Yeah. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. From where you like, would not. Yeah. You would. That's not what you'd be trying to work out. You'd be trying to work out what's his involvement in this. How did he break in? Yeah. You know, is he connected in some way? Not. Hmm. He looks like a postman to me. No. Yeah. Way off. Way off, mate. Try again. Yeah. Unemployed musician. That's like that's a game you play. Like people watching, right? You just guess yeah. guess people's professions. It's like yeah, that's kind of. But I actually laughed at that at that moment, and I thought it was a joke. Every line could be a joke in this film if you're looking at it correctly. So anyway, he's in the studio at the beginning and her voiceover is going on. Then some guy comes in, the producer or someone. He's like, you owe 32 grand or something. He's like, I know, I know, I, I'm going to pay it. And then there's this, and he goes back to the producer and he starts talking. It cuts back to the guy and he just smashes his guitar. Yeah. Like, just like, yeah. Oh, okay. Like, just... Which- you wouldn't do. You no, would not do that. Not when you've got debts, and not when you like. You need your guitar to do recordings, right. and, and the only thing that you love and that you're good at is yeah. playing the guitar. Right. Smash it! I'll show you. I'll so, destroy the only thing I love. Take that! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, now right. I owe there's, myself money. There's, there's plenty. Now I owe myself money. <laughs> it's like, good one, man. Good one. And 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 magically, you know, he sort of his career's in, in the doldrums. He's got. Uh, no money. Uh, he owes thirty-two grand. He smashes guitar. He meets someone in a bar, and then takes it to Mexico for the whole weekend. Yeah, good one, man. Like, yeah, he's got a convertible. He's got a lovely place in Mexico. Yeah, house mental. and a dog. Yeah, cool. Uh, played by Robert Carradine, by the way. Yeah. And as soon as he came up, mm. I saw his name, and I was thinking of Keith Carradine because I've watched a few Keith Carradine films right. recently. He's in a lot of the Walter Hill stuff. Yeah. I thought, oh, cool. And then I realised it was Robert Carradine. And my thought was, ah, Robert Carradine, the youngest, worst Carradine. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know him really from from other things. Who's the Caradine that I know? Oh, David Caradine is Kill Bill. That's right. The other thing, well, again, to give it some leeway, I think if they were going for an 80s version of what a black and white science fiction film made in 1957 would have been, yeah. they nailed it. Yeah, agreed. But in the in the age of E.T. and Close Encounters and the 70s Body Snatchers movie, you can't get away with this. Mm. And the thing that would have given it like the three-star value, even with all of the shoddy production values and the shoddy script and the acting, is if it had something to say. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for, man. But it doesn't. Some kind of message. No, it yeah. doesn't. They didn't really learn anything. We didn't learn anything from them. And by the way, most boring aliens ever, they're different. And, and you're a bit curious. You're like, oh, okay. What's their physiology? All right. They're photosynthetic. That's interesting. They don't have eyebrows. Okay. Ah, they're very strong as well. Okay, cool. They're a bit telepathic. Okay, fine. Interesting. They don't know what kissing is. Is that is that it? No, they have sex with their mouths, apparently. What? Where did you pick up on that? I missed that. No, on the campfire, right? They stopped speaking ages ago. They don't need to eat. They don't do anything. And they don't have genitals. But the only thing they do... they didn't they, have genitals, yeah. No, they 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 have sex through their mouths. Because there was that bit where they, the, the guy, Robert Carradine and the girl, I can't remember her name, have a kiss by the fire. And the two aliens look at each other like, that was weird. But I must have well, missed that line. I must have been it's because for furiously them, writing a note for them, about that's fu- that's full on sex that's, for them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's why it's that's oh, why that's they're quite giving a good joke a, then actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but unless you're paying attention, you so miss I those think, things. I think we're reevaluating this film as we go along. I, yeah. I think <laughs> you picked a winner, buddy. <laughs> that's the point. Great. Uh, the actress name is Sherry Curry. That's right. And I looked I up her do career. Do not know what else she's been in. Yeah, like, not much. Not much. Uh, Although she's done, well, she's not known for this. No, no, she's done some writing on Stranger Things most recently. What I love is um, Mike Gray, the writer-director, has only ever directed two other things, and he's still not known for this. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Poor guy. I don't know. I mean, man, listen, unless you've got anything else you want to say. Not about, really. Like, because I think we're spending too long on it already. Hey, listen, man, it was a bad film, but <laughs> at least it's also not eligible. Yeah, so so it, get, it opens it up thing. I'm glad you're not mad at me. I was a little worried, but um, it's again. I'm glad you see it as like there are going to be some films in this series where we roll the dice. It's a hard pass. Yeah, it's not. Um, it's not a recommendation for me. I will say it's probably the worst film that we've watched in quite a long time. But I still think we can find something worse. Hercules in New York was so much better than this. I I'd, I'd watch I'd watch Cactus Jack again. That's fair. I, I would much prefer to watch Cactus Jack. There's no this. reason. Yeah, there's no reason to watch this. There's no reason to watch it again, that's for sure. But if you are curious, Wavelength 1983 on YouTube, you can watch it in its entirety. Uh, it's two stars for me. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're going one star? Yeah, man. I barely, I don't think it deserves a star. I just don't, I don't know. I don't think this is a movie. <laughs> like, forget about it qualifying for anything. It barely qualifies as a feature film for me. Tough times. Dude, three booms in the shot. I know. It's like, you might as well have seen a cameraman. Like, you know, it's like, when a, when a film does that, like, it's like, but maybe, what happened? Look, maybe what, Mike Gray what, is trying to... Why did you release this? He's trying to... I think there's unspoken things going on here. I think he's trying to let you know... 
It's meta. This is a documentary crew. Oh, actually, there's a great bit of trivia on the IMDb page about him boasting about the film, saying that some um, like ex CIA guy, guy or something got in touch with him and said, "Who who told you about this? Like, how did you know that all this stuff happened? Because you got it right on the money, man." He's like, no, no, I, it just came to me one night. But you, it's funny, I get phone calls all the time from people saying, hey, that's exactly how it went down, man. No way. Are you joking? <laughs> no, that's on the IMDb page. Oh, God. <laughs> so, there you go. That was Wavelength. Yeah. On to The Hunger. This is a film starring Catherine Deneuve, David Bowie, and susan sarandon as well as a couple of others it was tony scott's first feature film he had done music videos and adverts before this it was going to be directed by ridley scott and he went to work on legend instead and he obviously runs a company with his brother so tony did it instead i think it would have been a very different movie i think it would have been very similar actually because i think one of the things that's really striking about the hunger is how much it looks and sounds like blade runner interesting you don't think? No, the, the, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you told me that it was the uh, the same cinematographer. My feelings about Wavelength were too strong for me to contain them before before doing any assessment. I think the same thing for The Hunger as well. This film is beautiful on so many levels. Like, yeah. this is a gorgeous, a gorgeous movie. And for whatever flaws it has, it's what is best about 80s filmmaking for me. And I say specifically eighties filmmaking, like you see this sure. oh. you see this kind of stuff in things like Braid Runner, but it doesn't have to be high budget or high concept. Like and maybe I'm wrong, but even in films I think movies like Kramer versus Kramer, things like that. I remember the the, the cinematography in that being really beautiful as well. There's something about the film stock at that time, there's something about the way things got yeah. shot, and there's something about the pacing that was different. I I don't know what to say. It's got this dreamy colourful, vibrant quality that the 80s had. I think that this film influenced um, Atomic Blonde to some degree. There's like, there's elements of that in it. Does that make sense? I don't know that I see that. I I know what you're saying about the 80s aesthetic, though. There is, um, obviously, there's the, the lenses and the, the film stock of the time that does help you place films from the 70s, 60s, 80s, whatever you want. And that was still going on at this time. But I think, yeah, more so it's it's the lighting and the feeling of everything has a breeze going over it and everything is doused in smoke. That's what I'm trying to and, say, yeah. And, and the editing is starting to move into that MTV era where it's a lot more cross-cutting, a lot more flashy editing. Right. Tony Scott is, is one of the, the harbingers of that. Mixed with, it's my favourite shot in the whole movie. Is it Bowie or Bowie? Either is correct. He didn't care. Really? Yeah. How would it's he not his real name. name. He made it up. Oh, right. His name's okay. David Jones. So I'll probably mix it up then. David Bowie, he is realizing that he's aging. I mean, I know we've not done the plot yet, but he's realizing that he's aging. He goes to an aging clinic where they're studying the stuff that's run by Susan Sandin. And it's a shot where he's been told to sit down in the waiting room. Hmm. It's just... like a little short movie in its own, isn't it? That sequence. Oh my God. I'm so glad you know it too. It's perfect. The reason why it's perfect is because it's so simple, straightforward from a shoot perspective, but also from a framing and storytelling perspective. It's a tense moment. He really wants her attention. She tries to walk away. He grabs her arm. And you know he's threatening because the Prince of Darkness, right? He's, he's a vampire. 
and he's holding on to her and he calms down and goes and he, the tension subsides a little bit and she says sit down and you really kind of want him to chill out and sit down and get his way but you know he's not going to do it the other way and the shot is like profile of the sofa and david bowie there's this massive space he's all the way on the right of the shot and there's a massive space between his back and the back of the sofa and i'm just sat there and he's holding it for two three four five six seconds and you're like sit down man relax <laughs> like i had this really strong feeling of like chill like sit back and, and he's not he's on the edge of the sofa and i'm like and just quit that shot with that space between the thing and then he eventually leans back into it and it's like it's so satisfying and you get taken through the feelings of of his feelings that's very good storytelling yeah i, I think what um this film in particular, but a lot of Tony Scott's work, has, and Ridley Scott's as well actually, has been criticised as being style over substance. And I think you can definitely make the case for this being style over substance. But I don't think you could say it's all style and no substance. This, and they're I trying think, to say something with every shot. Yeah, and I think he's trying... The film certainly feels like it's trying to do as much of it as possible without dialogue. He's really trying to do this visually. Yeah, this is so lean. And and I think it succeeds largely. And again, it's that scene and also a scene where David Barry's waking up in the morning. It's one thing to have a scene, a long scene, where you just leave a, that kind of morning wake up where you're not quite sure what's going on. What day is it? What do I have to do today? That kind of stuff. In an ordinary non-supernatural movie, that would be like fairly straightforward. You wouldn't want to linger <laughs> too much on it. But in a supernatural movie, you've got like you've got at least a 500 or 600-year-old being here He's going to try and work out what era is this? What? Yeah. And he's having little flashbacks of like other eras that he's lived in. It's like he's hearing music and it's a bit, you know, he's not feeling great. You can see. And so it's like it communicates all of that with nothing. I'm really glad that you're you're going in this direction. I want to talk more about the stuff that I think that it hints at and it never explains to you. I think we just should do yeah. a little bit of setup. Um, yeah, the plot. We, we, yeah, of course. We, we should, meet yeah. Catherine Deneuve and David Bowie in a club. And they pick up a young couple, presumably to each seduce. Dude, um, tell tell me that cup that scene that club scene did not influence the Matrix. Oh, there's there's more. Tell than, me. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. there's there's a few things in here <laughs> that I see in the Matrix. Yeah. Um, although I will say I think one of the aliens in Wavelength uh, definitely inspired the casting of the There Is No Spoon Kid. But yes, uh, there's something. You know right from the beginning there is something off. They're not simply picking up a couple to seduce them, although they are doing that. Mm. The editing and the lighting and the stroboscopic effects and all of this is telling you there is an edge here. And sure mm. enough, we discover during this sort of five-minute seduction scene that they are going to drain and drink these people's blood. Mm. And what the film then goes on to do is something that I really like structurally is that the first half of the film is telling the end of one story and the second half is telling the beginning of another story and i think it that's really another draws reason. you in it really draws you in i think that's another reason that some people were turned off by it is that it doesn't adhere <laughs> to a, a classic <laughs> i think structure. the exact opposite i the exact opposite effect on me it yeah. really draws you in i'm i'm watching a film with david bowie i'm certain that I'm, I'm going to see him. He's the protagonist, right? It's beautiful to have that time said, especially in this day and age. You and I have talked the whole the whole series 
or every season about strong female characters and this film turns that on its head completely and for you know two films released in the same year one which is just like the classic terrible trope but it's like neither character is is 3d you know in in wavelength but in this it's like david bowie's the woman well that's what i love about the casting um as well is there's um there's there's something very androgynous about both Bowie and Catherine Deneuve. Like she she dresses feminine but angular. She almost looks like a Nazi stormtrooper, and he is masculine but very lithe. He's not muscular. And when they introduce Susan Sarandon into the mix, yeah, she is like an amalgam of the two. I mean, it's she quite is. striking how much she looks like Catherine Deneuve yeah. in some shots, especially their eyes. Yeah, yeah, that's deliberate. But she has like the softness and the hint of masculinity. And I think the enduring effect of this film, and and perhaps the thing that most disqualifies it for being a forgotten film, is how important it was in this era in the way that it tackles fluid sexuality. Something that the two leads were, 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 they have a body of work that supports that. But the things that it says about it and the things that it explores, I think are really quite, quite powerful at times and but deeply erotic and it's not it's not uh erotic thriller by design in the way like it's not set out to to predominantly be titillating no it's, it's not a, it's about it's, it's about sh- mood yeah. and passion and obsession yeah. and and addiction as well that's what yeah. the hunger is and i think there's a lot of this stuff in there Going back to what you were saying about how it how it hints at a lot of stuff. No, it tells you stuff. It doesn't hint. It tells you stuff without telling you. It shows you. Yeah. Just the powers of the vampire. The, the word vampire yeah. is never used in this film. We're never told that they're vampires. No. We're shown. Yeah. They drink blood. They get hungry for it. They age and die if they don't have it. Yeah. And clearly, Catherine Deneuve is thousands of years old. Yeah. And she turned David Bowie, and he is hundreds of years old. But like so many before him, his life expectancy is up. It happens that the hunger can't be craved. You lose the ability yeah. to sleep and you'll age and wither and crumble. And and that's what we see in the first half of this film. We see David Bowie go through that process. And then she turns Susan Sarandon to be his replacement. Right. No. But we see a lot of yeah. their powers. That the, 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 There's a, a lovely bit of editing where Susan Sarandon's in her lab and they're explaining what's happened to the... I don't know, the ape. I don't know if it's a monkey or whatever. Um, it's a baboon of some kind. Um. It has gone through this same process as David Bowie's yeah. now entering into. Yeah. And she's talking and we're seeing just David Bowie's face. And he's contemplating it. And we... It's perfect. There, there's this way of connecting all of these characters through something that cannot be explained and therefore isn't explained. Yeah. And also the power of the thrall the vampire's ability yeah, to almost story. hypnotize someone. Catherine Deneuve has done that to Susan Sarandon without us ever seeing it, where she is seeing that Susan Sarandon is about to walk in front of a truck. And we don't know how, we don't know what their connection is at that point, but somehow she stops it happening. All right, it happens even before that. It happens um, in the books, bookshop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly, yeah. another one. And so it has all this vampire lore in it without needing to explain any of it. I think the film is much more enjoyable if you know that stuff already. I think Definitely. I, yeah, I yeah. don't think it's a requirement, but it's de- it's a pre 
it's a prerequisite to the levels of enjoyment that you and I have about it because we don't need that stuff explained, you know, and, and, and it's something that it's been a bugbear of mine for a, a while is when you have a truly immortal being, is this really what they would look like? Is this really what they would act like? Is this truly how they would behave? And I often don't think that it fits a lot of the time. Highlander. Yeah, it's the, it's left. It leaves me wanting. It doesn't fit the description of the character. And this is one of the few films where I believe it absolutely does, through very subtle means, helping you to understand there is a lot more to this person than I could ever know. The Catherine Deneuve or Miriam character, right? Yeah. Some things like okay, so but Bowie first because I mean I still I didn't finish yeah, talking about yeah, him. Yeah, sorry. Uh, he like he is really he's really fantastic in this. He's very well cast. That man. He's got a face that takes itself seriously. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Let me sit with that. <laughs> no, I need you to explain it. What do you mean? Do you know what I mean? He's got a like, face that takes to, itself like seriously. Like, that guy has a face that takes itself seriously. It's a very en- enigmatic statement, Alex. I need you to... Thank you. <laughs> ...to give me a little bit more. Well... I like it. it, but... it yeah, so do I. I liked it when I was like... it's. Be- he's got a face that's like beyond like just an interesting look. Like, I think I've got a face that takes the piss out of itself. It <laughs> doesn't take itself seriously. Yeah, I, I think hate that, my stupid face a lot of the time. I think that Dave, David Duchovny, for example, while some people might think he's a handsome man, I don't think it's a face that takes itself seriously. Okay. And now do, do I think that Tom Cruise's is or Arnie's is, right? We've, we've done those two actors. David Bowie is like, he's just got this gravitas immediately there in his face. If he says something, you're probably going to go, oh, yeah, you, I pro- probably should listen to you, shouldn't I? He's fucking Jareth, man. This guy... Jareth is the Goblin King for Labyrinth, for anyone who doesn't yeah, get that reference. Yeah, you know, but this kind of seductive vampire figure is perfect. And and then to see the way he acts out his own demise... I think he's, yeah, I think he's wonderful as the older character. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it just works so well, because not only is this, he's this confident, immaculate sex symbol, androgynous immaculate sex symbol, at the same time as, like, you know, confidently masculine until his demise is present, and he realizes, "Oh, I was never the man, was I? You, you were always the one in control of this relationship." And he reacts yeah. like he reacts like a woman scorned. He reacts like I've been used. Use me. Who's the next one? Huh? Yeah, you told me it was forever and ever. Yeah, who's the next one? Have you already figured out who 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 it is? The the moment in the film that really took me by surprise this time, I've only seen it a couple of times, was. When he he looks very old, um, and yeah, he okay. realizes he's not going to be able to yeah. to come back because he he's killed this young girl and taken her blood, and it didn't reverse the effects of his aging, so he's going to die. And um, and Catherine Deneuve comes back to the apartment and sees the state that he's in. Yeah, he looks a hundred, and um, and he says, "Kiss me," to her, mm. and she does, and it's kind of it's kind of horrifying. And she, they obviously get very upset and she cradles his head and he looks so small and frail at that, at that point. And she's, she's crying. And it's, it is really powerful because there's, there's so much tied up in that of these people have spent centuries together. I don't really know how to put it into words. Mm. I, I, I guess I can't. I, I can't explain it. That, that, that scene I, I, had an effect it, on me. There's it something does, it about the passage effect. of time that's, yeah. that's very, very powerful. And the way that it condensed it, it in this film... And then simply that condensing of time for one character 
yeah, she is, he's right. She is going to move on. She's going to discard him. She's done this six or seven times, however many it is, over the course of her life. And there's another thing about time in there that I really liked as well. When he's asking her, how long will it take? Like, how long did it take for the girl before me or whatever it was? And she says, I don't know. And he says, it's not the kind of thing that you forget. Mm. And she says, I don't know, days, a week? Mm. I, I don't know. It's yeah. not the kind of thing you'd forget because it's only happening to you once. I'm I'm millennia. Yeah, she's <laughs> at least 10,000 years old. Because we least. see her in Egypt. That's the whole yeah. thing with the angst. Yeah. yeah. And I like that. It, you know, although, like you said, when he... He's not waking up because he hasn't slept, but he's in that groggy place and he's recalling, you know, uh, Renaissance period, I yeah. guess, like the 16th century or something like that. And she's recalling, you know, like you said, anywhere between three and 10,000 years ago. And those memories would be flashing all the time. And again, the, the, the visual stock of the film and the editing of that, it communicates so much in a matter of seconds. I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen something so lean. I mean, as an example of exactly what you're talking about, I think it's it's what really pushes this film to the high end for me. The artistry in it is at, at the top end of film artistry because of because of this. For example, you're thousands of years old. You you know like songs. She's playing songs at piano, right now. Piano playing must be like I don't know talking. You know, we learn the syllables and we learn the words and we can speak relatively clearly learn an instrument and you have thousands of years to play it and practice it it's like yeah you know yeah it's just no and so she's playing it very lovely very naturally and it's a song called lacme which is fairly famous Uh, like i love it i love it and but it's been used so much you kind of think oh i don't know i probably think of some bank advert or something i don't know like yeah yeah when you hear a piece of classical music like that in the right context you become reminded of its beauty. And she says something to Susan Townsend, who's saying, what is this piece of music? And she explains the story of it. Now, in that moment, you don't know. You just think, I just thought anyway, she's explaining the story of Lakme. And if in in any other movie, you'd get her maybe saying, I, you know, a bit of exposition saying, you know, that song, I wrote it you know or (laughs) you know something like that and so you don't get that in this you don't know if she wrote it maybe she did maybe she didn't maybe she asked the composer to do it maybe she was a lover of that composer maybe she did write it who who knows it doesn't matter the point is is there's a a point at the end of the movie where you know that the song's about her i just i just got this feeling through flashes of her in egypt um feeding off of a slave yeah and you just know the details don't matter, but the, the the way it's able to communicate this being's experience, it, it just it was very moving and much, much more impactful the way they told it than the way it might be told in another film where they just they just say it with a bit of dialogue. Yeah. And there, there, there are little hints in there throughout as well. We know that everything ancient. But, sorry, and valuable... I don't I don't remember the story of Lakme, like what she said. It was a love story, right? Yes, she's, well, that's what Sarandon says. Is, is it a, is it a romantic piece? It sounds like one. Yeah, she says, um, "Did he write it for his wife or whatever?" And she says, "It's two women singing to one another." Yeah, it's a story about uh, somebody who falls in love with her slave and collected artifacts. Initially, we see that they are artistic artifacts, such as busts and 
uh, jewellery and things like that from her very long life because she tells Sarandon that they're all original. Um, they're not the only artefacts that she's kept, as we'll find out in spoilers. But I think that scene with the sherry and lacme, the, the rhythm and the, the way that it's shot, and also the performances of those two actors in that scene, is probably the best scene in the film. It unfortunately then turns into what could arguably be the silliest scene in the film. I don't have a problem with it, but it is the point that you could go, oh, really? Come on, when she spills right. the sherry on her shirt. But I do want to say something about that that, that Susan Sarandon said. Apparently there was a, a, a documentary made in the 90s called The Celluloid Closet about the history of homosexuality right. in film. Right. And Sarandon said that the screenplay originally called for her to be demonstrably drunk in the lead-up to her sex scene with Catherine Deneuve. Right. But Sarandon asked for it to be changed so that her character had only a single sip of wine and spilled the rest of the glass. But as though she, she was under some kind of thrall. No, better than that. She said she wanted to make it clear that her character was choosing to have sex with Miriam instead of doing it because of the alcohol and also because you wouldn't have to get drunk to bed Catherine Deneuve. I don't care what your sexual history to that point had been. <laughs> that's, that's a lovely piece of trivia because it actually speaks much better to the character. I don't I, I don't know. You said like, oh, come on. It's like whether she was under the thrall or not. That's what I thought. It's like it didn't matter. It's like it's, it's not what happens in the scene. No, it's the way it's shot. You know, the very soft focus, slow motion, and the building music as she lifts her shirt. And it's like, yeah. now now you are overstepping the line into titillation, I think. Yeah, and, and but I'm not sure it's criticizing the film. They seem to both be very happy. I, I, I don't have a problem with the, with the, yeah, yeah. the, the character motivation or the content or anything like that. No. This is purely a stylistic point that I'm making. Yeah, fair is that enough. After that beautifully judged scene where she's playing piano and they're discussing, and there is an unspoken seduction going on, mm. even if Catherine Deneuve denies it, to then move into this very, I think, over-the-top way of shooting the, the back half of that scene, is it's the best and worst of the film all in one for me. It's a, a nitpick. But yeah, as a, just as a sensory experience, the film as a whole, I think it's absolutely exquisite. Some people might have problems with the, the pacing of it. I personally agree with you. I think there's something to admire and, and be enthralled by in every scene in the film. As a result of the way that it handles vampire lore, and also the way that, depending on what you want the film to be speaking about, it could be speaking about lots of different things. It could be talking about addiction. It could be talking about simply the process of aging. Like, you wake up one day and suddenly you're an old man. Mm. It could be about duality or shame or repression of sexuality mm. or acceptance and awakening of that sexuality. Mm. I think as a result of that, it's it's right up there with the very best of what the vampire genre and horror genre can do although i wouldn't really say this is a horror film and i put it in my top three vampire films probably yeah i don't know that i've watched enough vampire movies to do that it certainly is one of my favorites uh, i'm wondering if how you feel about sounding the spoiler klaxon that there is one point i want to make before we go into spoilers no maybe we should do it in spoilers yeah sound it beware listener spoilers lie within. you're telling me it's the top uh one of the top vampire movies i don't know that i can say that because i don't even know if it's a vampire movie 
I think, strictly speaking, it is. There's enough overlap with Vampire Law for it to say we we have to say that it is. But I I love this. Like, it could possibly be one of my favourite vampire movies. Because I love how feasible it is. Are you saying that the film has a face that takes itself seriously? Yes, I am. <laughs> I am. And that makes me go, you know what? I'll buy that. It's not, it's not that. It seems feasible to me that you could have ancient humans that are biologically almost identical to us, except for a few traits that mean that they can live for a very long time. This film puts quite a plausible spin on the vampire myth and also helps you to feel the the, the emotions or thoughts of, well, this is what it might be like, actually. These are the considerations. And this takes this tiny slice in time of this vampire couple in New York. Here's some insight. And it's only through the interactions between you know this girl who's having uh, violin lessons with them, practicing with them, and the interactions of the other human that comes into direct contact with them, Susan Sarandon's character, who they, those two aren't necessarily their prey. It's possible that um, the Miriam character was grooming Alice, the the, the young girl, to, to eventually take over. The the information that you get that supports that is when she comes round to the house and doesn't recognise. John, is it? Uh, Bowie's character, because he's so old yeah. at that point. And so she opens up to him saying, oh, I love Miriam. Yeah. But I just don't get John. And so Miriam has been warm and caring towards mm. her. She doesn't, we don't have any information about Miriam to say that she has any reason to do that. Mm. Other than what you're saying. She's waiting yeah. for David Bowie to cark it so that this girl can replace her. Yeah, but also, if you think about the long view, it's like, well, maybe she's the third or the fourth in line. Who knows, right? Do you, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's like, she's got 10,000 years under her belt. I've got to think much further ahead, much further yeah. along. So be, becoming interested in, in children, having them part of her life, it's not unreasonable for that person, for the, for that kind of a being. The fact that Susan Sounders' character comes in and, and takes over the way she does, um, that's the big flaw for me. You talked about times when we might turn off from the film yeah mine is simply a stylistic choice in how the ending bits were shot that left me way more confused than i think i should have been or that the storytellers want me to be so this is do you mean when we go to the top of the building and see that no not not living corpses no before that before that yeah so um so i have this moment where i'm like wow I just, I actually wrote, wow, she wrote Lacme, even if she didn't, but it was just all that stuff I said about Lacme. And Susan Sounding's character is going through, like, whatever vampire version of withdrawal is. Yeah. She needs to feed. It's lovely. Can you imagine living so long? You just know humans so well that you just don't need to do anything to get them to do what you want them to do. And that's how uh, Catherine Deneuve is acting. When Susan Sarandon's boyfriend or husband comes knocking yeah. on the door, like Catherine Deneuve just looks at him and goes, "Awesome, that solved my problem. She's totally going to feed on you. You're a schmuck." <laughs> like, hey, yeah, go upstairs. Like, yeah. you know, doesn't start, doesn't do anything, doesn't need. She just knows that how, what's going to happen next. It's turning the classic dramatic expectation of that sequence on its head, because the first thing you expect when he arrives is for her to make an excuse and send him away. She's not here. Whatever. And she doesn't do that, and she just lets him in and says, yeah, she's on the second floor, away you go. Right. Then you expect her to come in and 
and maybe do the killing for Susan Sarandon, right? No, she doesn't. She just leaves her to it. And it's the payoff to that. When <laughs> when she walks into the room, blood dripping down her front. She and looks her, lush. She looks just like so happy, yeah. And uh, and Deneuve just says, see how easy it is. Yeah. Because of course, wait, so this is my point. And so this is why this is in spoiler section, because we've now spoiled it. Susan Sarandon becomes a vampire. Uh, I, the note I wrote was, she hungered her. That's what he did. Did hungry <laughs> give up? Did hunger yeah. give up? Uh, and she hungered her. And then she ends up like drunk with this kind of, yeah, it's amazing. Of course, like this feeling, she's got this look on her face, like, why would I give this up ever? Uh, thanks. It was quite nice. I liked that scene because it's like a speech she's made hundreds of times. She's got that attitude about her, like, this is how it is going to be right now. And you're mine. You'll need me. And she's doing all this stuff that is like, all right. And I imagine that humans time and time again just went along with it because they were so scared and didn't know what else to do. But Susan Sarandon, the doctor, she knows this shit. She she knows aging. She understands this stuff. She studied it all her life. It's, she's an expert in it. She's been studying those monkeys with progeria. She's She has some insight, some awareness. And now she's got insight and awareness from the inside of this experience. Yeah. Who knows what changes she's gone through since she's fed and what abilities she has and what how she can her use her cognition. But then the bit that I was complaining about is I don't see what happened. They start kissing. One of them, yeah. I didn't rewind to check, one of them gets the unk or this Egyptian symbol, the unk, and that has a, a knife in it. And one of them does that and stabs it into the neck of Susan Sarandon. What? Okay. Okay. Now, in the in the scene, hold on, hold on. In the scene, I, I am thinking when I'm watching that, oh, Susan Sarandon doesn't want to live. She's been given this ultimatum. That's what we're meant to think, right? We're meant to think she doesn't want to live. She doesn't like the idea of living under this person's spell for the rest of her life, forever and ever. So she just takes her own life. But... Are we also are we meant to also think that maybe Miriam killed her? I think in the in the moment that it happens, you're supposed to be confused about first of all who got stabbed, right? And yes, who stabbed who, right? When but we it, see that but it's, it's not in the end, it's not Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise at the end of Collateral. It's not meant to be that. I think for a moment it is. Okay, okay, okay. And then we pull back because it's all close cuts and all of that. Then we pull back and we see that it is Susan Sarandon's neck. Yeah. And from Catherine Deneuve's reaction, she didn't do it. She doesn't want it to happen. Yeah, okay, So fine. Susan Sarandon did it to herself. Fine, fine. Okay. So, yes, I think what we're supposed to finally understand is that exactly what you said. She she doesn't want to live that way. She's not David Bowie. She doesn't care about her beauty and yeah, yeah, being yeah. immortal and all that sort of stuff. She doesn't certainly doesn't want to murder because she's a doctor. Okay? So she's taking her own life, and Catherine Deneuve doesn't let it happen. Infusion... I think is compounded by the ending of the film. Yes. Because Sarandon was supposed to die and they changed it so that she didn't and she became the lead vampire. Ah. And I I know that that would have been much more satisfying ending for most audiences. What if she had died? No, no, no. The way they cut it. The way the ending I saw. I think it still works. I think the tragic love aspect is more powerful if she doesn't live but it's not just that she becomes a lead vampire it's that she goes on to yeah she takes on the role fully she takes on slaves and And miriam is locked in a crypt yeah you hear her screams yeah yeah (laughs) that's like shit 
Shit, Susan. <laughs> yeah, no, it Fucking actually hell, doesn't. Man. You mean so, bitch. So, like, so that, that... She really took over the power. And that choice doesn't make any sense if she's made the decision to die. Unless she's very calculating. Yeah, no, but that's... Uh, I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, from... Susan Sarandon's own point of view, she doesn't like the ending of the film because she said the whole point of the character. Well, is that okay, she the actress didn't d- didn't yeah. like the ending of the film, right? But because the producers changed it, the producers so tacked on that ending. The script so she they had read, and everything. A, yeah, 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 it wasn't there. And this is based on a book as well by Whitley Stryber, who actually wrote Wolfen. Um, so we've done two. Oh, of Oh, great, now. interesting. Yeah. Well, that's why might be why I like the feeling of it. Yeah. Yeah, she, she 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 felt that that final scene was was a betrayal. I of agree with Susan Sarandon. It's a betrayal I, of everything that's come up before. It's an interesting ending, but it whilst it betrays, it's like I like the direction. It would have sat with me much more clearly if there was evidence throughout that Susan Sarandon's character was calculating, wanted immortal life herself. That would have made much more sense then, and it would have all fit. A, a bit more a bit more neatly it's not that jarring an ending because it's in there it is her life's work is studying aging it's like the scene that that, that makes it again if if it's going to fall down or the biggest flow of thing they've done such a good job of artfully uh explaining to us what's going on here what's the motivations of the characters what's their backstory with minimal dialogue if anything at all with beautiful imagery it's really well made, really well shot in all that sense. And then they have this sequence where all the corpses of her kills and her past lovers, they all come back to life and murder her. Or at the very minimum, trap her in a crypt eventually, because I guess she can't be killed or whatever, right? Well, no, they die, don't they? Because we see them die. All the corpses, they, yeah. They crumble to but dust when, how, when she ages overnight. How is it that... It's n- it is not clear. They all how... were alive. They all came back to life. Is it because? Uh, I, no, I just assumed that they always, they actually hadn't died because what she says to David Bowie yeah. is, "It's not the same for us. Death is not the same for us. Yeah. We'll be in the dark forever, yeah. and I'll see you. You'll see what something like that. Yeah. Essentially, like this is a this is a forever thing." Yeah. But you're just going to age and wither and be a spectator. You right. can't interact and anymore. And what she's what, actually saying yeah, yeah. is, you're going to be in the fucking loft, mate, with all my, yeah, with yeah. all the others. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, she doesn't say that to him. And that's why I think that the kiss is works when she kisses him as an old guy. It doesn't sit well. Like you said, it's, it's unsettling. But at the same time, I think it makes perfect sense for her character. Oh, a hundred percent. It's the yeah. last time he's got any semblance of flesh that she might actually want to kiss. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Before he, t- but not not knowing that as well. But it all it makes sense in hindsight in terms of what you know. You're you're going to be in the fucking loft, mate, with all my other crusty past flings. It's yeah, like if I try and kiss you, your jaw will actually come off. Yeah, because she punches a guy's jaw off while she's yeah. up there. <laughs> I mean, and and again, it's like. That felt like it was, felt like it was added on. It didn't sit with the rest of the film for me. It, well, I kind of agree. The bit that I I don't understand is what happened to Catherine Deneuve because she's so powerful and strong. Why falling down that staircase? Why would that do that to her? And why would it then have the effect on them? It doesn't make sense. See, that's why I was confused because it's like I I, I think that Susan Sarandon did something. 
in that scene to get her power. Like she's she's alive again yeah. in that scene. So the only thing I can think is that a vampire shouldn't drink the blood of the dead. So if Susan Sarandon is already dead, like so quickly when she stabs herself in the neck, and they're kissing, and yeah. Catherine Deneuve has drunk her yeah. blood, she becomes weak. That's what well, that makes her sense. Off, yeah. But again. That's where that's why I'm saying is that these last ten minutes the film fails. It's doing such a good job, not fails entirely, but falls down a bit. Look how much discussion we're needing to have around it to make it make sense, and yeah. the film does so excellently with the rest of it. It's like I just wish it delivered a little bit on that. There could have been some a bit more artful storytelling to explain it a little bit more. And now you know I'm not a fan of needing everything to be explained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's so many questions at the end, and again that can be okay. But that's not what this story is. This story isn't one where it should have had there those is, questions. There is it. one element somewhere in those, yeah, in the scenes between her stabbing herself yeah. in the neck and all the the guys from Scrooged emerging <laughs> at the end. That's, what that's totally what they are. The guys from Scrooged, the guy with the golf ball, the mouse that's that it. comes out of his head. That guy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the ghost of Christmas past, yeah. Yeah. There's a single element in there somewhere that's missing that would have just explained it all. I still think the the character motivation of Susan Sarandon is a bit fucked in the end. I do like that last scene, though. It's a, it's an interesting way to end the film. Um, but yeah, there is the, the integrity and density of the previous hour and a half is, is slightly let down by that. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, the, the makeup effects and stuff, I mean, throughout are incredible, but the makeup effects on those zombie guys and Catherine Deneuve's aging sequence. Pretty good. Pretty good. Really impressive. Yeah, yeah. Snoopy style on IMDb, that's a reviewer, had this to say. This movie is filled with good moody atmosphere and interesting style. However, the story moves so slowly with Bowie trudging along as an old man. One could really fall asleep watching this. It is truly shocking that action what? director Tony Scott made this. Maybe he learned what not to do from this movie, but it does look good. <laughs> I, I that, disagree I, with almost I, everything. Yes, every word, every <laughs> single word, I disagree with that. Well, it does look good. I agree with that. No, oh, yeah, but it just that's a classic example of someone criticizing Pride and Prejudice because they were really expecting to watch Transformers. I mean, I, or Pride and Prejudice versus Zombies. Where are the zombies? Yeah. yeah. It's just Colin Firth fucking around in a lake. Yeah. I've written uh, what might be my best note ever over the course of this film. Go ahead. Do you know the actor Dan Hedaya, who plays the uh, the cop? Yes, I like him a lot. The, pres- the president of uh, Balberdi in uh, Commando. So the note I wrote is simply, Dan Hedaya's chin... Discuss. Dude. I'm so glad you said it. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna say it. <laughs> it's a feature worthy of mentioning. It, I think it's the only reason he got roles over the years. <laughs> I mean it's it's it, and I think it's it lessened over the years as well. I think it looked so much more prominent when he was younger. For anyone that doesn't know Dan Hadai or haven't seen it, he's got what you could only say is like He's got a butt on his face. Well, that's a kind, that's an unkind way of saying it. It's more like a belly button in the middle of his chin. He can blow his nose and wipe his ass at the same time, is what I'm saying. Jesus, man. Jesus.
some of our criteria for this, we have already automatically disqualified Wavelength. It is not a forgotten film. We're not going to discuss it anymore. Uh, well, and even if it was eligible, I think it's one that we class as rightly forgotten. Yeah, worth forgetting. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And so in that sense, then we've done our job. I am not sure if The Hunger can qualify according to our criteria. It's certainly the pick of the week. Yeah. Uh, it, it wins as pick of the week. It's certainly a recommendation from both of us, if that's not already clear. But one of the things I think disqualifies it is uh, there was a TV series made of it, right. also with yeah. David Bowie in it and Terence Stamp. Well, David Bowie was in, yeah, he was in a couple of us, playing a different character. Though. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. no characters uh, from the film in it. Right. What overlap does it have? Is it based on the same storylines? Yeah, no, none of the same characters and not the same time frame, but it's just the, the basic setup is the same. So just purely because of that, I don't think it can qualify as a forgotten film because it's got a legacy. What What do you think? I agree. I think there's that. And I think also, um, I think there is a bit of a cult following for this film. Now, I mean, even leaving the uh, very beautiful Catherine Deneuve and David Bowie to one side, I suspect uh, a lot of female sexual awakenings happened uh, at the site of Susan Sarandon in various scenes in this film, but particularly heroin chic, sweaty, cropped hair. Susan Sarandon probably kicked off um, a lot of uh, teenage sexual awakenings. For both, both male for and both female. Women, yeah, we both no, male so. and female. Of course. But, um, but I think, you know, female figureheads are, are few and far between in, in this period of cinema. Yeah. Uh, so I think as a result of that, I think there's a very strong LGBT following of of this kind of film mm. uh, so i think it probably classes as a, as a cult film more than a forgotten film they are different things i think sort of a tick in its favor is just from the work of tony scott this stands apart because the next film he did after this was top gun mm. which is his first action movie and he basically did action movies for the rest of his career he went more and more into the fast cutting style and you've got to say, like, for a first film out of the gate, he came out swinging, man. Like, good job, Tony Scott. And yeah. to an extent, I'm I'm a big fan of Tony Scott. I'll defend him till the cows come home. But I do wish he'd done a couple more films a bit more like this than like Enemy well, of the State. I, I agree with you. Uh, even though I do like the films, uh, many of the films he's made, it's a shame that this side of his career didn't get a chance to express itself right so yeah i agree so yeah i think ultimately we both sort of dropped the ball a little bit this week but we still had a good time talking about it. i've enjoyed this conversation certainly yeah and i'm thrilled that uh you know i'm not kicked off the podcast for my choice of wavelength uh, no, I've, that... I've got one in the bag now so i can fuck up real hard later on yeah yeah <laughs> it's great <laughs> but uh, but it's nice that we've established that like you know we're free to just roll the dice on these things um I will, to the fans, apologies. I will try and make uh, better picks in in the future. But send send me send me your recommendations, and I'm going to go with them. So, given everything that we've said, we like about the film, and also some things that we think the film fails on. Could you give it a rating? I'm I'm really torn. Like I can't give it a five. I wouldn't have watched it unless you told me to. It's not my kind of movie. I want to give it a four because on how beautiful it is. But I think ultimately it's going to get a three. Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a solid three and a half, pushing to a four. See, I would want to go five for this. Mm. 
but I can't really forgive those last few minutes. So I'm going to go four and a half. I think, right. like I said, as a sensory experience, it's yeah, it I agree. exquisite. It's beautiful. I was really moved by a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really like a lot of what the film is, is, you know, not talking about, but dabbling in. Mm. I'd love to see it with an audience. I think it would look fantastic um, on a cinema screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so huge recommendation. It's actually, it's interesting. I don't often talk about rewatching films, but if this was in the cinema, I'd go. Yeah. I'd like to see it again. Yeah, I was blown away by it, the, by the style of it the first time I saw it. But actually, it's it's a much more rewarding experience. Going, and that's interesting because what it says to me is like, it's one of those films I could watch again. Now that I know what it is, I know that there's a lot more detail for me to look at in there. And that's why I'd be happy to watch it again so soon. Normally, I leave films years before I watch them again, but I could quite happily watch it again in two weeks. I wouldn't find it boring. Well, that was 1983. Now, I said on 1982 that it was a banner year for genre films and that 1984 was another banner year for genre films. So we've got a huge catalogue of films to pick from next time. I'm looking forward to discussing those with you when we look at 1984 me too keep sending us your suggestions your thoughts your criticisms your um favorite combination of cheese and mayonnaise yeah to the ornithology at gmail.com or ornithology at twitter or the ornithology i can never remember i think it's the ornithology on twitter and the ornithology on facebook is that it that is it until next time forget about it Hello listeners, by way of apology for picking Wavelength uh, this week, uh, Ben and I are working on uh, bonus episodes, so we just wanted to tease you with that, so watch out for that. It's coming out soon, next week maybe, another 1983 film which we hope will uh, fill the gap, the void if you will, that Wavelength left, at least in my heart. Anyway uh just teasing that and um hope you've enjoyed 1983 keep listening send us send us your stuff